Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network in conjunction with the Sampson Family Foundation, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. Now here's Ralph and your host, Mac McDonald. It is March Madness. Uh, do you want me to sing the song? I can, you know, one shining moment, one shining. I've been listening to it for two days. You've been following all the games. Ralph, is this your time of year, would you say? Mac, it's a great time of year. It's basketball season. Although it's still cold, you know, it was sunny one day and it is cold and rainy now, but uh, everybody out there, the brackets, you know, I feel mine out. Everybody's out there loving March Madness. We didn't get to do this last year. Mm-hmm. So I think everybody this year is like, wow, I at least get to fill out a bracket. At least get to watch some basketball games without knowing what's going to happen. I mean, right. I couldn't fill out my bracket, Matt, you know, totally because I haven't seen all the teams play, you know, in a, in a game setting like you normally would. Yeah, and we've already seen some double-digit seeds play really well. And now, you know, I, I think even next week and going into next week that we're going to see some really surprising uh, games. And I think that's just the way it's unfolding now. Not only is there parity in college basketball, but I think COVID has brought parity for a lot of reasons. And and I, I think the NC2A, when you go back to what happened on Friday night, you know, Virginia had to fly in before their game on Friday. They had to walk into a hotel. They had to test after midnight and had yes. to test again Saturday morning to be able to practice. Yep. So the NCAA is going, whoa, we're going to do it we're going to do it correctly and we're going to make it a healthy tournament for sure. Yeah, they're definitely doing it correctly. But again, there's still some unknowns that nobody knows. And, but I think with the powers to be there, the medical staff, the NCAA, the coaches, everybody just working together hand in hand with the players as well to understand we got to We in this together. We're not in this as individual teams on an Island. Like, you normally would be playing in March Madness, the whole field of teams are in this thing together to keep everybody safe. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have an NCAA tournament memory? Yeah, I do. I do. I have, uh, uh, you know, every year there was one except my freshman year, but I have an NIT memory, one in, in Madison Square Garden mm-hmm. against uh, Minnesota and Kevin McHale and that crew. Then obviously my second year uh, in uh, Philadelphia, great city of brotherly love, and playing against North Carolina and Alwood that we had mm-hmm. on as well. That, that whole experience was amazing. And then in the next couple of years, you know, just playing and getting there and, you know, Derek Wittenberg and that crew my senior year to, uh, you know, UAB my junior year and having a phenomenal game on their court, which was crazy. We go to their court, as you remember, 
and we play on their court in the NCAA tournament, which is mm -hmm. very rare. So every year there's always these memories. But the most thing that I remember is that selection Sunday, being in a locker room with teammates alike, and then knowing what we're going to go and being excited, and now we got to go to work. That's, yeah. that's the best time ever. And knowing the ever. program, and, you know, of course, Coach Holland had the program at such a, an arc. You know, and in Virginia, you guys were always. You, I don't think you could have ever lived up to the hype with no matter who you were with. You know, the Jeff Jeff Lampier, Lee Raker year, and then on with, you know, Thel and Ricky, and when Rick Carlisle got involved. I mean, I don't think you will ever. You know, at that time, I don't think you could ever live up to the hype that was that was surrounding the Virginia program. Well, Mac, you know, we didn't have social media, so we just had Sports Illustrated, and we had all the <laughs> stuff that that was there. So the hype was crazy because. As you recall, with Doug Elgin and the crew, we had interviews every day, every, every week. Mm -hmm. You know, it was crazy and it was friendly. But I, I actually look back and, and, and really now look back and cherish those moments and memories because I thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, even today, the camaraderie with the teammates that, that I have, the Othells, the Ricky, the Jeff, the Lees, the Gates, whatever, we can go back and say we remember that moment. And it was very special for all of us. Let's go to break because we Jim Beheim is going to be one of the legendary. Oh my god. Legendary, man. There's no other word. There's no other word really, I think, than legendary. He is truly a great guy with wonderful ideas, doing a lot of things for kids and and just the game. And 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 I just I love the guy to death. We'll go to break. We'll come back. We'll introduce Jim Beheim. This is the Winner Circle Network and Center Court with Ralph Sampson. We'll return right after this. The mission for the Samson Family Foundation is simple. We strive to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. The foundation promotes charitable and community input, educational development, health and fitness, and scholarship opportunities. The Samson Family Foundation's initiatives focus on patients with cancer, educational scholarship programs, and give students guidance in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. The Samson Family Foundation encourages limitless possibilities. Your financial support is tax deductible. To learn more, call 540-615-5097. The website is samsonfamilyfoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. It takes teamwork to make the dream work. My first 25 years, we were in the tournament about 20 times without having to think about it. And lately, we've been in the bubble a little too much, but uh, we're playing pretty well and we're happy to be playing. Somebody once said, you can't win an NCAA game if you're not in the tournament. Building a game plan for life. It's basketball and beyond. We return to center court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. Welcome back to Center Court with Ralph Sampson on the Winter Circle Network. And as we said in the intro, we are certainly blessed to have this gentleman and the numbers speak for themselves, which uh, I just gave you. And coach, it's great to have you. A busy weekend in Indianapolis. Uh, how is the bubble in Indy? It's better than not being here. <laughs> yeah, Tony Bennett said it's better than the alternative, right? Yeah, there's no alternative to this. You know, you, you, you want to get in the tournament. Uh, and, and this has been the most difficult route to the tournament that I've ever seen for all these teams. And to get here 
uh, we struggled. We lost our starting center the first game, the first almost the first few minutes of the first game we played. And I mean, we struggled every game all year. I think at the end, uh, we, we did play better at the end of the year and uh, we practiced well. So again, the results of getting to the tournament is, I remember 20 years ago, you had to win in the tournament for it to even be considered remotely successful. I think this year and, and almost lately, it's so difficult. If you're not one of the top 10 or 12 teams in the country, uh, it's a battle to get there. You can look at any number of teams that are here mm-hmm. that made it to the, the, the uh, tournament that at one time or another, I mean, really struggled this year. I mean, yeah, you, can, yeah. you can pick out 10 or 15 teams that are here, whether it's us or Michigan State or uh, really – you just go down the list. Georgia Tech started out the year and lost to two games to, you know, very lower division one schools, although they're good teams. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, just getting here this year is uh, been a great, a great uh, challenge. And uh, it's, it's a really, it's a good result. Yeah, it's a great result. Yeah. It's just, I mean, but how, how, how do you manage to do the season with players, you know, uh, I mean, obviously I, I, I you, you, you've been doing this for a long time, but the players' emotions up and down and you know, playing a game with no fans or maybe COVID or, I mean, that had to be hard for those young guys because you know, well, they, well, they, 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 they're young kids. Ralph, when we started, we were having the best practices we've had in two or three years. We had our center oh. who was healthy. We were playing great. Uh, our shooters were shooting lights out every day. And – then we had a 19-day pause before the yeah. season, mm. and we came back with one practice day, and we really shouldn't have beaten Bryant College. We, we were very fortunate. They're a pretty good team, uh, but we were fortunate to win. They were fortunate to win against uh, Buffalo, a very good team. And uh, then we got into a situation where uh, we had a couple other pauses during the year. Uh my son, Buddy, is a really good shooter, and he just didn't have – he got sick. I mean, he had COVID, and he's shooting 27% after about 15 games. He said 16 games, something like that. Then he got healthy. In the last 10 games, he shot 45 46% from the three, and we're a different team then, mm-hmm. just a completely different team. Absolutely lights out. Jim Bayham is our guest on the Winter Circle Network. And, Coach, is, is of all the crazy things, and as I was following selection – and, you know, a lot of talk about Syracuse and Louisville, the bubble and all of that. You guys didn't have one quad one game at home. <laughs> now, how does that work? <laughs> it's just crazy. Louisville uh, couldn't come and Florida State couldn't come. Those games were canceled. And, and we knew we had a tough road schedule uh, going into the season with Virginia and Duke and Clemson, uh, you know, uh, on the road, all on the road and, and Georgia Tech obviously turned out to be a tournament team on the road. Rutgers, a tournament team on the road. So, I mean, we had a tremendously difficult schedule. That said, we had a lot of quad two games, North Carolina, Virginia Tech, that are really, I mean, they're quad one wins, really. When you think about it, they're right there. And we were 12 and two in quad two and three. So I knew that was going to be good for us. We beat four teams in the tournament. And uh, I think that also helped us. Uh, and I think when we played in the tournament, the ACC tournament, you see NC State's a pretty good team. They were coming mm-hmm. off five straight wins, and we beat them by, you know, 20 points. So you knew we were playing pretty good. Virginia is a really good team. 
we go to the last play of the game. So I think we showed that we're a good team, and I think the committee took that into uh, into consideration. But it's always tough. I've been on just on the right side of the bubble. I've been just on the wrong side of the bubble, and it's it's just a hair or two difference. It really is, and uh, you know, you just at the end of the day, we've squeezed in a few times, and you're really happy. And a couple times, I know one time we had a really good team, and we didn't get in, and I, yeah. it's just crushingly disappointing mainly for the players I, i've been to the tournament a lot 30 <laughs> i don't even want to a few years a few years <laughs> a lot of times but you want that group of players to go to the tournament the, you know that's what you really hope for that they can get to go and and it's tough when they don't but it's you know at the end of the day you just you know you got to just say we, sh- we need to win another game or two there was two years that we were leading in the last minute and we led the whole game of in two games, and we ended up losing those two games. And if we'd have won those two, we'd have been in both years in the tournament. Wow. Instead, we, instead, we were out. So that's how close it can be when you're there on the bubble. Did, did you have the Sunday night, you know, watching party like you know would have and watch where you're going to go? Were the players excited about that? Yeah, we were in the gym and spread out, you know, six eight feet apart and yeah. mask and everything but it, so it took some of it away but it's still i mean it was still great i mean it's just a, we we waited and so we didn't get in right away we thought we'd get in but when you're not called right yeah, away yeah, you, yeah. you start thinking about it <laughs> and uh you know we were worried but uh getting in was great and uh you know i mean we just were really happy and got to work and uh try to get ready for the tournament then. So, Coach, have you ever seen a, a season like this? I'm sure we have. We all have not. But when Kentucky is not in, yeah. Carolina Duke are, are very weak teams, supposedly, out of COVID. But I don't know, the one and does haven't gone there or something. What is, what's going on in college basketball, in your opinion? You've been able to maintain the level of excellence for a lot of years. So, yeah. but these one and done guys are, you know, the historical UCLA have not been able to make, you know, this year has been tough for them. It's, it's tough for everybody. I, I think the difference is with the one and done schools, if you don't get, like some years, the top players aren't top. Players. <laughs> exactly. Some years, you know, Anthony Davis or Zion Williamson don't come into your program. A really good player comes in. But he's not as good as the seniors and juniors throughout the league that you're right. in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and those players, Zions and, and Anthony, they're rare. I mean, those guys, I mean, you look at Duke, uh, even with Zion and R.J. Barrett, two guys that are starring in the NBA right now, starring, not just playing, but starring, uh, they struggle in a tournament. Yep, so yep, yep. It, it's really hard with one and dones. And I think with – the G League's taking a few guys out uh, that hurts a little bit for guys that relate, you know, really rely on all one and dones. So I think that you want to have a program. You want to have a lot of good players and you want to try to get them to be veteran players. If, if they can, if you can keep them, in other words, you want to have your players good, but not too good. <laughs> and then uh, always you try to add that great player with the, with a group of good players. You can do that. Yeah. You know, we won with Carmelo. We had really good players. And yep, he yep. came in and, you know, he was the difference. So, I mean, that's what you hope for. Um, but there aren't many of those 
Zions and Anthony Davis is around. Yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of good players, but those guys are becoming more rare, I think, as we move forward. It just those, those and so it's hard. It's hard when you're one and done. Um, it's hard. We've had a couple years where we thought we had really good players coming back, and then all of a sudden one guy went to the league. You know, that right. happened three times with us. None of the three guys were ready for the league, but, you know, it was their opportunity and they were able to, to make some money. But if they had come back, we had bubble years. And if, if those three guys had come back in those three years, we would have had really good years. We'd have been a top 15, top 10 team. So that's just part of college basketball now. You know guys are going to leave and you try to get prepared, but you're, you're really not sure – you know, who's going to leave. And so you're not sure what to do in recruiting. You don't want to have too many guys in the same position. And, right. and yet you got to, you have to be prepared. So it's difficult, but it, you know, with the transfer rule coming up now, it's, it's a great thing for kids in, in one way, but it's also a dangerous thing because you just go out there and worry, what if you don't find a place? I mean, it's everybody isn't going to find a place in football. That's happened already. Guys are out there and, in the portal, they, they have no scholarship. So, mm -hmm. and, and it's not always true. You're going to find a better situation. I've right. seen transfer cases we've had, or other teams have had where a guy was playing a little bit, but not a lot, but a little bit. And they transferred and ended up not playing at all where they went. So you, you don't know, especially today's world. Yeah. Some, some schools will probably take three or four transfers and you know, you don't know exactly how that's going to work out. You will know, the new really rule help you? Will the new rule help you coach guys can transfer and play right away? I, I think it'll help some and hurt some, you, you know, we could, we could have a good player who's, who's maybe think he's not getting enough shots and he might want to go someplace where he thinks, or they promise him he'll get more shots that would hurt us. Mm -hmm. uh, but there might be a situation where we can pick up somebody by the transfer rule. Uh, we started a transfer this year. He averaged 15 points a game for us. So he was really good. So we, we, we know we're going to have transfers and we know that we might need a transfer. I think there's just more now we went my first 30 years, we didn't take a transfer. And yeah. now lately with this rule and grad mm -hmm. transfers, we've taken a few, we would rather not, we'd rather stick with the guys we have, but if a guy does leave and you need a spot, then you're, you're going to have the, Potential. Do we add general manager to your title? <laughs> well, no, I mean, this is, it's, it's not that new. We've been looking at this grad transfer for the last four or five years, but it, it's going to become a little bit more. So now you're going to have to watch the portal and mm -hmm. talk to our players when the season ends. I mean, I could have, I, I, I had three guys transfer last year who weren't playing much and, you know, we're going to have somebody transfer and, and uh, you know, we just hope we can keep the core guys, but there's a couple guys that will test the waters. I think the one thing that's happened that, that players should see, there's so many really great players in the G League yeah, right yeah. now yeah. that are never going to get to the NBA because the NBA has 15 guys on the roster without the G League guys. Right, right, right. So, you know, it's very hard. If you're not a top 10 pick in the draft, you're going to have a real hard time being on a team in the NBA. So, Coach, when you're talking about the G League and the guys, you know, deciding to leave school or transfer, how do the numbers translate as far as how difficult is it to get into the NBA? 
it's different. In the old days, they had 12 guys. Guys would get called up from the G League. You know, you you at the end of the year, a couple guys leave. You'd have two roster spots. You know, yeah. now there's 15 guys. So you've got to go through those three extra guys to even get to the that point. So sure. it, it's very, very difficult right now to make the league. Every player says, this is my dream. Well, yeah, it's everybody's dream. But <laughs> it's so hard to make the league. It really is. It's become – I don't think – People realize there's 10 G League teams, 120 players. That, yeah. No, it's actually 30 times. It's 300. 300, 300, yes, yes. 300 players are in the G League, and we've the only ones that come up are the ones on two ways that, that yep, actually yep. have a two-way. So you eliminate those 60 guys, there's 240 guys that aren't going to get up. They're not going to get to the G League, and you don't make that much money in the G League. No, so it, it, it's hard to make the NBA. I'm, I'm, I'm glad when guys make it, but I see more guys miss than make it. Than right. ever. And, and the facts are there. They have studies of, of second round picks. Almost none make it. None. Late, late first round picks. Very few, if any, make yeah. it to the league. It's, those guys are good. You, you know, you turn on an NBA game and you see guys that just get in and play a little bit and, you know, they make four threes in a row. I mean, yeah, those, those guys are good. I've worked with NBA players. I've seen them. Um, the, I mean, we work with the very best with the Olympics, but we've also had up-and-coming NBA players work out with the Olympic team. And the talent level of those guys is huge. But then when you look at the top players, the, the gap, between the top guys, the Paul and the Wilder, there is an unbelievable gap there. I mean, when when Kawhi goes out and wants to down, he dominates the game. You know, when Kyrie goes out for the the, the, the the Nets and he's ready to play, and he's seventeen for twenty three. Right. <laughs> you know, against the best players in the in the world. I mean, the gap between those guys and the good players. And these other guys are really good players. Mm -hmm. It's still a huge gap. In 03, when you guys flirted with the ACC at that time, and then, of course, eventually got in in 2011, what what was that like in that time period (laughs) with, you know, not getting in, but then finally getting in? And I guess a two-part question, are you happy now that you're an ACC member? Yeah, I'm very happy. What happened in the first case, there was only Boston College from the north in the league, in the ACC. It was a southern league, basically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, predominantly North Carolina and, and uh, in, the, in the southern areas. Um, I, I was not an advocate at that stage. The Big East was where we were familiar with. It was a great league for us. And I was really happy when we were able to stay there. The second time around, you know, Pittsburgh and us were coming in, uh, Notre Dame, uh, you know, Boston College was in, uh, Miami, a team that was in the league with us, Florida State was in the, the league with us in the, beast, in, the, in the Big East. So we were more familiar with the teams. We had more partners uh, that we were, were used to being with. And then the bottom line, it came down to football. Football had right. to be, have a place. And once that was decided, it was a it was very simple for us. It was an easy decision. It's really helped, obviously, our football program and all of our programs, our lacrosse program, you know, top 
two top three or four uh, men's and women's lacrosse programs in the country. Our cross country is great. Field, it's helped all of our programs be in the ACC. It's a great league, and it's been the best basketball league for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Consistently, it is the best league. Some years, you know, somebody else is going to be a little better. Yes, but consistently, we've had the best league in the country, and uh, it's been a great, great place for Syracuse. And we've really uh, benefited from the league and being in the league and uh, uh, will continue to benefit down the road. Yeah, I'm sure I, I looked at, uh, you know, the lovely Patrick Ewing and their win in the, in the Big East, but there was nothing like the Big East back in that day, right? So, I mean, compared to the ACC, which we know is historical, but I, I commend Patrick Ewing, but I'm sure you know, it's nothing like playing Coach Thompson and the Big East yeah. and, and back in those well, days. That was very special. The Big East had its time. I mean, there was a 10 to 15 year period where the Big East was the best league. It was, yeah. There was no doubt. I mean, we had more teams in the tournament, more Final Fours, national championship, multiple different teams mm-hmm. won it. So it was a more balanced league, whereas Virginia, North Carolina tended, or at that time, North Carolina and Duke tended to dominate right. the ACC. Now the ACC's opened up a little bit. It's different. But at that time, the Big East was a, a great, great conference. And, you know, when you lose teams and Louisville also came with us and, right. you know, you lose all those teams, the, the Big East is still a really good league. It's a really good league, but it's, it, it, it never will be the league it was and, and couldn't be uh, when you had the, all the teams at, at that time. But yeah, yeah. you got to remember with nine teams, we dominated recruiting. You know, we yeah. got all the recruits. And once we started to expand, that hurt our league, hurt the Big East. And at the end, the Big East really wasn't what it was. It was yeah. a different league. You had DePaul and Marquette and all different teams from around the, the country. And the best league for us was the ACC, and, and it continues to be. Coach, you just mentioned recruiting. How do you recruit these days with COVID? I mean, that's got to be like a different world. You know, I mean, we had done most of our evaluations for the 21 class, this, this class coming up, uh, that's coming in in the fall. In the 22 class, we've done most of our evaluations. So okay. what we're doing is all Zoom work. So we're talking to the families and the kids as much as or more than we ever have. But it's all on Zoom. Right. <laughs> so, And some of those kids had seen our campus, a few. So we had some advantage there. But until we can make, get visits done, we can't finish recruiting. We can right. get a ways along, but you have to get the kid on campus. And, you know, like I remember with Carmelo, we were all there, but we, we still had to get him up. And once we got him to campus, he committed. But you right. know, they want to see the campus, see where they're going to be. And hopefully this summer, we will be able to get kids to campus and try to get commitments from kids that we've been recruiting now for two years on zoom and everything else and telephone. So, and then I think at the end of this summer, we'll be able to get out again, see some of those kids again, but see the 23 class. We're usually, you know, a class ahead. So we're heavily in the 22 class now, but we're looking a little bit at the 23 class as well. Gotcha. Of all the accomplishments that, that this legend in front of us, Jim Beheim is with us on, on the winter circle and, and center court of all the accomplishments, Jim, you were just able to stay at Syracuse, build a home there. Never want to leave. Yeah. I know a couple of schools you flirted with some and yes, they t- talked to you. How, how do you stay at one school for, 
for over 40, 43 years plus. Well, you know, I came here as a walk on. I'm from an hour away and I got a scholarship after a year and got to play and stayed as a grad assistant. And it just worked out. I moved up to a full-time assistant and the head coach moved. And I really, once I got the head coaching job, I, we've got everything you need here. We've got great fans and we've got a great school. Uh, we've always been in a great league. So everything has been great. I mean, we've had everything we could possibly need. And I remember once I interviewed with one school that I made them come here. I wouldn't go there. <laughs> if you come here. And so I started talking to the, the people from the school and five minutes in, I knew I wasn't going, you know, I knew this <laughs> just wasn't happening. And uh, I, I've never felt that the grass was greener on the other side. I've always felt it was greener on my side. And uh, yeah. I, I just like where I am. And I've seen coaches who moved and sometimes it works if you, if you get a better job, but I don't see a better job. I like mm -hmm. my job. I can recruit here. I know the situation. Um, you know, I think coaches that can move up to a better job. I think sometimes that's good. You know, if you, if you can, and there are some jobs that are better. And, uh, but, you know, I remember talking to Mark few many years ago, who was a good friend of mine. I said, you know, you got a great job. Don't leave a great job. Mm -hmm for a, a pretty good job or one that looks better. And of course he's turned a really, really good job into a great job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Gonzaga. yeah. But it, there's something to be said for staying, you know, where, you know, it, know everything. And they know you when a bump comes in the road, they understand you, they work with you through it and yep. you get to the next stage. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've been very fortunate to, to, to be in one place. The Olympics and what you accomplished with your good friend, Coach K. Jim, how special was it to represent America? It's beyond my way to express it. When we started, of course, the Olympic team had been through some rough times. Jerry Colangelo took it over and brought Mike in, and Mike called me the first minute, and uh, I was just thrilled. And, you know, we didn't know what we were getting into. <laughs> we didn't know if the NBA players would work with us, how, you know, what, well, we really didn't know anything. Would they work hard? You know, what were they like? Would they sacrifice? And what we found in a very short way is the NBA players were unbelievable. They never missed a meeting. They never were late for anything. We did three Olympics, three world championships, and a qualifier in Vegas. So mm -hmm. seven times we were together, 230 or 40 days over seven years. We never had a guy that we had to talk to, literally. And, and, the, and again, the NBA players were great. And you have them for 30 days, so they know they're only with you 30 days. It's not like you got them over a season where the mm -hmm. agent's going to say something. You know, <laughs> and the players, they didn't care. There was no agents involved. Nobody said anything about my, my guy isn't playing or, you know, nobody came in and said, well, my guy needs to start. I, mean, right. I, remember, <laughs> I remember Dwayne Wade the first year said, you know, he was the player of the year, I think, in the league or close to it. I think when they won the championship. It was right around that time. He says, Coach, I'll come off the bench. You know, and he had 17 points in 18 minutes coming off the bench for us. Chris Paul did it. He came off the bench. Uh, we wanted to start Jason Kidd, who was, you know, obviously a veteran guy. But Chris came in and, and was great. Darren, Darren Williams was great coming off the bench. Uh, they sacrificed. They wanted to win. The, the, we found out right away, these guys want to win. And we had one little glitch the first year where we lost our only game, where we didn't just things – everything went wrong for us and we lost to a, a very average Greece team, but we never lost again. 
So, you know, we finished, uh, you know, that world championship, but then we won three, three worlds, three Olympics and never lost a game of any kind. And the players were phenomenal. You can't really, unless you you sit on the bench and you watch what these guys can do. I mean, a lot of times we, we, we just watched, uh, coach K is a great, he's a great handler of players. He knows when they should practice harder, when they shouldn't, he knows who to talk to. He's great at that. That's what he does better than anybody, I believe. And we just had no problems and we had great leaders. And, you know, I remember when we had LeBron out in a championship game with Spain, he had fouled some foul trouble and uh, the game was, you know, it was a three or four point game. And he came over to me. I think there's six minutes to go. He says, coach, I'm ready. (laughs) You know, in the NBA, he would have just checked in. Right, 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 right. He said, coach, you know, I I said, you're getting right back. I looked at Mike and we, you know, he got right back in the game and took over. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was a fabulous experience. I mean, we had close games against Spain because Spain was really good. But you have to, we averaged somewhere in the neighbor of 94 points a game and gave up 64, I think. Right, and, right. You know, we were up usually 30 by halftime in every game we played. And these were teams that were beating us prior to taking over. Yeah. So it was great. And, and it shows that we get the best players to play, we're going to win. If yeah. they don't get the best players in the Olympics, it's hard. We didn't yeah. have the best players when we went to the World Championship uh, last time. And, you know, we couldn't win. you got to get – these other teams are good. They've been playing together for 10 years. Mm-hmm. You've got to get the best players together to win in the Olympics. And hopefully we'll get that this summer and, and get over there and win the gold medal. Well, I'm sure that compares. I, I played in the 1979 Pan American Games with Coach Bobby Knight when we had the fiasco <laughs> over there. We oh, won the yeah. gold medal. I was a – me and I was there talking with the first high school seniors to, to play in, the, in those games as well. But – you know, going up there and representing our country, but also you winning the NCAA title, but also now three world titles, whatever. I, I know it's different than Hall of Fame as well, that kind of stuff. What is, I know you've been in many, many interviews. So, you know, I always do this show like, hey, what does somebody don't know about Coach Bayham? We know the zone, we know the Olympics, we know something, but what makes you tick? What makes you do what you do? You know, my father started me, we would play games together, cards, gin rummy ping pong pool and he would beat me as bad as he could every time time. and you know he was a competitor and he got me to be a competitor and I remember the first time I beat him at ping pong he put the pedal down and walked out you know he didn't he was he got mad at the same time I beat him at pool same thing he said that's it we're done We, we didn't play but he you know he pushed me from the very beginning and I was, I always wanted to win at everything, every game. I wanted to compete at every game. And in coaching and playing, the compete, the guys that compete the hardest usually do the best. I mean, talent's always important, but the, the talented guys that compete the hardest are the Michael Jordans. You know, yep. there's a lot of six, six guys in the world. Right. <laughs> there's only one Michael Jordan. And, yep. you know, it's, it's not about talent. It's about competing. And at I learned heart. that from my father. He was tough on me. But I, at the time, I don't know if I always liked it, but <laughs> looking back on it, uh, you know, he made me the, the competitor that I needed to be to be a walk-on, get a scholarship, fight through it, get the no. coaching job at Syracuse when a lot of people didn't, you know, didn't they even won. know. 
you know, I went into an interview and there was five people in the room and two of them didn't want me. You know, luckily the guy that ran the committee said, no, we're, we're hiring you. And, you know, if it had gone the other way, I wouldn't, you know, I'd be, I don't know what I'd be doing now. <laughs> so, but how do you, how do you take that from your father to your son? Do you push him as hard? Do you, I mean, it's totally yeah, different never, era, but. I've never said a word to my sons or my daughter. The, my daughter played, was a good player. Yep, yep. Liked to play, but didn't love it. So she gave it up in college, but both my sons wanted to play. I never, their mother pushed them much more than I did. Their mother would say, you know, hey, you guys better get in the gym. Or so. I never said a word. No. You know? uh, Buddy has always done that. Jimmy, who's a very good player, average 16, 17 at Cornell. Uh, you know, he really good player. They worked hard at the game and they always wanted to play. Buddy started watching game tapes with me when he was five years old. He'd sit next to me when I'd come home and watch it. He watched the game. And uh, they, they just loved the game. And they always wanted to play. And uh, I really uh, never I, – I made sure they had places to play, made sure they had opportunities. Mm -hmm. uh, but, like, my father never said anything to me about playing. We had a gym, we had an outdoor court near me. I'd play there all year, year-round. I'd play in the winter, play when it was freezing, snow on the ground. Um, I just always wanted it. My sons, they, they want it. And, you know, I, I, I'm glad for that. They're good students and they're, you know, that's good. That's, that's even better, but, uh, they, they just always wanted it. And, you know, they know I'm a competitor. They see me. <laughs> what I they know. Yeah. Yeah. They know. And we competed at home in games and stuff and, you know, trying to win, all the games you play and <laughs> uh, but I'm very fortunate to yeah. that they really wanted to play. I, I always hoped they'd play sports, but I never Yeah, knew. nothing like it. Not, I'm sure yeah. nothing like that seeing them play and being successful, especially but I, I watched your games and he's shooting that top three really well. You've got confidence, got stroke as well. And it makes those shots. So it was very fun to watch that. I'm sure your proud father when, when he's out there playing as well. That that's that just I mean I can't from where my heart to see somebody's son play. I had two sons to play as well, yeah. but it's it's been that's a pretty good ride as well, uh, to make sense of it as well. So it's it's, good. it's great to see, you know, your kids do well in any whatever it absolutely. is. Whatever it may be. Absolutely. Whatever it might be. My daughters are you know, my oldest daughter doesn't play, but she's really good at a lot of things and you know and she bikes and hikes and does all that. She's great at a lot of things. And that yeah. is wonderful. My, my youngest daughter was a very good player. She won three state championships in basketball, but she's just good at everything. She's good with people. Yeah. And that's the most important thing at the end of the day. We all stop playing basketball someday. And, yeah. uh, you know, what are we going to do then? And I've been lucky with Julie and being able to raise a million dollars a year and give it out yeah. in Syracuse. Yeah. Uh, for 10 years now to give all that money out to, to we only work with kids uh, kids organizations you know we work with 30 or 40 different ones and then we raise money for pediatric cancer research so we've been very fortunate our fans have gotten behind us the only way you can have success in fundraising is if your fans get behind you yeah, get behind you get and, it done yeah, and, yeah. And, and give you the money so we've been very fortunate and to be able to coach I remember Mike Krzyzewski and I once were after dinner, we were sitting outdoors. I, I think we were in Barcelona, but I, I won't I won't bet on that. But we were someplace with the Olympic team. And we looked around and he said, you know, 
it's a pretty lucky guys. <laughs> I, said, I said, amen to that. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So, so coach, I know we get ready to wrap up, Mike, but coach, what, so young kids that are listening to this show uh, out there, what are you looking for in young players today? What What's going to attract them? What type of guys are you looking for uh, to come to your program? Well, you're always looking for guys that have some talent. You can't get to Division One level without talent. But there's a lot of guys that have talent that don't get here because they, number one, don't work at it, and number two, don't work together. You know, it's a team game. It still is a team game. But the hardest thing is to get guys that really work hard and smart and then that can fit into a team game, a you know, team environment. That's – but and really – understand when I say hard work, I mean all the every day. That's what it takes today. I mean, you can't just play some of the time. You And you can't just go in, into the gym and play four on four. You got to work at your game, your shooting, your ball handling. You got to lift. You got to be in the weight room. Uh, it's a year-round thing. You know, we yeah. never lift. I never lifted a weight. You might have, but you, you might have been before the weight area too. I never lifted a weight in my life. Well, they, they always told you it's a mess your shot up. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I'm the I was the first guy to board weights into an NBA arena. Yeah, they, they didn't they lift weights in there. Well, but no, anyway, I, I I know we have a mutual friend, and she'll kill us if we don't say hello to Emily Giffen out there because yeah, of mutual friendship and her new book coming out. So I want to make sure we. Highlight that a little bit, but I thank you My for coming. In. I don't know about you, but I've only read like sixty pages in one book, so it's good. No, you I've might. Read a couple. You read a couple, okay, good. Yeah, I read a couple. She's she's pretty good. She's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> and Mac knows her as well, so we did a show where Mac knows and friends with you know for life. So we appreciate you coming on, and uh, good luck in the tournament, and we'll thank get you, you back again because I'm sure. I mean, I love talking basketball all day long, so it's pretty good. Me too. Thanks, Ralph. Appreciate Coach, it. Thank you, Coach, guys. it's been great. The legendary Jim Beheim. We'll go to break. We'll be back with more of Center Court on the Winter Circle Network. To get into sportscasting, you need experience just to get your foot in the door. I can't tell you how many times in my career somebody will ask me, how do I get into your business? How do I become a sportscaster? The first thing I ask is, what have you done? Do you have any experience? And the answer is normally nothing yet. It's because they couldn't find a program that provided the real world experience that you need to get started. So I set out to create a program designed for the next wave of sportscasting talent. And my partner was an obvious one. Full Sail University, great track record in entertainment and media, great alumni group, and the ability to evolve as the industry changes. We're offering a bachelor's degree that combines the professional expertise that my fellow sportscasters and I have built our careers on with the technologies shaping the world of sports. To succeed in this business, you have to be ready for what's next. But the core of great sportscasting I don't think will ever change. And this program brings it all together. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. Welcome back. Final segment of the Winter Circle Network with Ralph Sampson and uh, Center Court. Great to have you along. And uh, Jim Beheim was too good. And there was Ralph, there was a, a one part I didn't get a chance to talk to him about. He and Mike Krzyzewski, when working with the Olympic guys, uh, they figured and they, they met and said, you know what? We're not going to institute rules with the Olympians. We're going to issue standards. And then they got the team involved. Uh, Mike Krzyzewski wrote a book about it. It's called The Gold Standard. And he, they introduced standards like no excuses, don't be late for practice, 
uh, have a strong face, look each other in the eye. These weren't rules. These were standards they set with the team that the team helped set. And I thought, man, what a great thing to literally run your life that way, run your family that way. You know, sometimes you don't need rules, but if you have standards, you can be, you can be really a, a top performing uh, sales team, top performing, whatever yeah. it, it's. Um, I think, I just think that's a great coaching thing. Well, you got to live up to those standards. I've read their book Absolutely. as well. And if you don't live up to the standards, you won't be successful. So Correct. what was amazing me, and I've spent some time with Jerry Colangelo, right? Mm -hmm. So when Jerry speaks basketball, the world listens. <laughs> sure. The world, because he started NBA, he owned the Phoenix Suns. So once Jerry Colangelo got a hold of two things, the Olympics and the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame, everything turned around to be successful. Yeah, I mean, the Hall of Fame was going under, and then the Olympic team we had, you know, played a little bit and went down. And Jerry said, "Okay, let's let's get this started again." So when he spoke, I'm sure Kashevsky listened, and I'm sure Bayham listened again. And then those standards also, I think, came from Jerry Colangelo as well. Yeah, one of the great stories, Mike Kashevsky said he couldn't get LeBron to look him in the eye. So he said that's going to be one of our standards when we speak. Let's look each other in the eye. That's the way we're going to communicate and it, anyway it was just such a, a great visit with coach Beheim and you know what they do and how he handled his son and I think how his father handled him you know he grew Absolutely. up in a really wonderful home and 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 buddy has turned into a you know not only a good basketball player you know but he and he got through COVID and everything to heck with that it, he's a great kid you know those are those are great kids that are under the Beheim Bay, roof well I, I think as coach Beheim said maybe it was the mother that that made, made him a great mm -hmm. kid coach Beheim just was there to hang out and assist right but you look at his play on the court this year compared to his other years, he has blossomed into one of the best players, shooters in, in the college game, right? right? And his confidence level is very high at the right time. So I'm sure Coach Bayham, you know, had him with a fine-tooth comb and, you know, and held them accountable like he did maybe through the Olympics. But in practice, I'm sure he drove me a little bit. I'm sure he understand when his dad talked. He, he listened. One note here quickly for more content information on Center Court, you can follow us on at Center Court Podcast 50 and at Ralph Sampson 50 on all social media platforms. Got about a minute here. I want to be able to say next week ought to be dynamite. Um, you just keep rolling along. But I think, uh, Ralph, next week ought to be really good and very, very in-depth of, of what uh, is going to happen in the MC2A. It'll be, it's going to be fun to listen to this special guest and uh, understand the name likeness issue that these players have. We, Coach Baham, I'm sure, understands that as well. What's going to happen in the NCAA in the next, when this when this uh, thing happens, when the courts uh, rule on it about playing players in the NCAA? Jennifer McClellan, yeah, we uh, upcoming senator that's going to be with us next week. Oh, name, image, likeness. So we're going to be covering that. Well, anyway, have fun with your brackets. Have fun with all the basketball and have fun with the TV remote because you got to be going all around. Stick, I hope you have a good time. I know you, you will this week and I will see you next week. I promise. Thanks, Mac. Have a good weekend. You've been listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Our podcast is available on the Believe Network at BLEAV.com. Center Court is presented by the Winter Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. For more information, log on to SampsonFamilyFoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. Teamwork makes the dream work.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.